Amy and I were walking through the East Nashville Farmer's Market, and we saw some Amish people who were selling baked goods. And I saw a pie that looked really, really good, so I decided to buy it. And I walk up to the counter, and there was a really nice Amish lady who was running the cash register. And I was dumb enough to ask her if she accepted Visa. And immediately, everyone within earshot started to groan and gasp at my ignorance. And even Amy had to walk away in hopes that no one would realize the two of us were together. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my hotel room in Forest City, Arkansas. And don't ask me where that is because I'm not quite sure. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I should say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Hayes Carl. Hayes is a singer-songwriter based in Austin, Texas. And I first saw Hayes seven or eight years ago at a radio radio in Indianapolis, Indiana. And um, there was a small crowd there, but he really, really went over well. I really liked it. He had a great sense of humor, had great stories, and he had great songs. And I bought his... CD that day, and I've been a fan ever since. Hayes and I hung out the night before at some bars in Austin, and uh, he outlasted me by quite a long shot. The next morning, neither of us were feeling that great, but um, we got together in his living room and recorded this conversation, and he was a really good sport about it. So here's Hayes Carl. The deal was my parents used to take me. My parents were, are sort of, uh, they're gamblers, and they would take me to casinos when I was a kid, but I couldn't get in, so I spent a lot of time like in the arcade, the daycare <laughs> portion of the <laughs> of the casino, and uh, and then you know my mom would take me to bingo parlors when I was a kid, and and the you know. Uh, that was it was really exciting to me. The only time I ever won at bingo was at my grandmother's retirement home, and the death stares that I got from, <laughs> you know, because the 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 prize was like some crocheting materials and a TV dinner or something. You know, it was things I that a ten year old boy didn't need, but everybody else there really really wanted. And they're and playing the, twenty cards. At oh the time. yeah, oh yeah. It was it was it's intense. Um. So anyway, I so I developed a kind of. A, slight addiction pretty early on i think uh, thanks to my my mom and my own nature and uh um so yeah we would uh i used to there was a casino two hours away in louisiana in lake charles uh from crystal beach so we would wait tables make 80 bucks and then drive the two hours to lake charles and if it went well you parlayed that into a little money and you had a good time and maybe you got a hotel room and and that was it. If it didn't go well, 
you had lost your eighty dollars fifteen minutes after you walked in the casino, and then you had to drive two hours back. It was a really long drive going home. Um, but I, yeah, I, I used to hit casinos a lot on the road, um, and I find that that if I'm having a really good tour financially, that I'm going to lose my ass in a casino pretty much without fail. And if I'm having a really bad tour financially, that I almost always do great, and and it sort of balances itself out. But I've I've uh, there was a long time there where I was making. Uh, there were several tours where I did much better from gambling than I did from playing music. <laughs> What's your game? Uh, but, you know, I used to be poker. I, I played hold number stud, and uh, uh, but then I, I I realized recently that I'm not as as uh, you know the saying: if you can't find out who the uh, who the mark at the table is, then it's you. And and I, I'm realized lately that I'm the one guy that you know, is by far the weak link. So I've kind of given that up competitively. Um, but uh, so now I'll just go play with blackjack or, you know, something where I have a fighting chance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a huge, huge uh, Oilers fan. Rockets, Astros, Oilers. I, I grew up just north of Houston, and uh, those were my my teams. And, uh, and we lost the Oilers and uh, to Tennessee, and and uh, after it was six long years or so, we uh, ended up with the Houston Texans, and that's my new obsession. They they filled that void for me. Were you old enough to appreciate the Earl Campbell years? And- Not really. I was uh, uh, I was probably six or seven when that the Love You Blue era. Yeah. Peaked. I still have some of the memorabilia that my you know, parents would dress me in love you blue gear. <laughs> but um, no, I was more of the uh, uh, Jerry Glanville, Jack Pardee, uh, Warren Moon era. And uh, uh, yeah, I was a, when I was a, a kid, I have a younger brother who uh, we would go to the hospital occasionally. He had uh, these foot surgeries. And one day we went, and it turned out it was the whole Houston Oilers were at the team was at the hospital, and uh, I remember getting all their autographs in my coloring book. Uh, <laughs> I had Ernest Givens and Lonzo Highsmith and Mike Munchak and Jerry Glanville, and you know, anyway, pretty neat stuff for a nine-year-old. Yeah. Were they all nice to you? Uh, as far as I can remember, uh, it's, uh, the, the crayon autographs is really the biggest memory I have of it I didn't have a I didn't have a sharpie back then with me at all times <laughs> so when I was a kid I, or when I started doing this when I was younger I always thought sort of the uh, the pinnacle of success or, or all that I really wanted out of it was to be just successful enough to be to get courtside seats to be like that <laughs> you know like in Houston Dusty Hill was for a long time was like the local celebrity who got courtside seats at the Rockets or you know Nicholson at the Lakers or yeah. Spike Lee in New York I wanted I wanted to be the the Dusty Hill where I was like I don't I don't need people to recognize me I just want to have just enough clout where I can sit get good tickets to Houston sporting events <laughs> <laughs> Has that happened? Uh I, I I'm moving up I I have I don't, I don't have any uh, courtside seats or anything but I, I at least I can get in the building now. 
Were you into Elijah Wan? And was, oh yeah, huge, huge. Who else was on? Was Clyde Drexler and yeah, he came in for the. He was on our second championship team. The the uh, the first one was uh, uh, Otis Thorpe and Vernon Maxwell, Kenny Smith, um, Robert Elijah Ory. Wan, Robert Ory, Sam Cassell, uh, and then the. Uh, so we beat the Knicks the first year for our first championship, and then and then uh, made the trade for uh, Drexler, and then won the second one mm-hmm. against Orlando. So yeah, I mean all that. We see we didn't have college teams in Houston really. I mean there's the University of Houston, there's Rice, and but neither one of nobody cares. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> athletically, it's just not a Houston's such a kind of big spread out city. There's no like it's not like Austin where people live and breathe UT football or whatever. And uh, so there, there wasn't any real kind of collegiate allegiances there. And then I went to, when I went to college, uh, I went to this place called Hendricks College in, uh, in Conway, Arkansas. And we didn't have, <clears throat> you know, we were a Division three school. So like our, we didn't have a football team. Our, we had t-shirts that said Hendricks College undefeated since 1968, which was the last year we had a football team. You know? <laughs> And uh, so I didn't have that to root for. Uh, so it's always just been those three teams. Uh, you know, Astros, Rockets, Oilers. Uh, yeah, it's a little smaller Ballard school, about a thousand kids. Um, uh, ben Nichols from Lucero mm-hmm. uh, went there. I guess he was two years ahead of me. Um, buddy of mine, Graham Wilkinson, a musician here in Austin. Uh, Dana Falconberg. There's actually a lot of musicians have come out of it, surprisingly, because it was, um, like I said, a small school in Conway, Arkansas, which was in a dry county, so there were no bars to play at. Um, and uh, uh, but but quite a few people came out of there making a living in music. Did you do basement shows and stuff like that? Yeah, we had. Uh, you know, it was kind of like. When I was in high school, you just kind of play at house parties and and um, occasionally you'd put on shows, uh, um, or they'd have you know talent contests or whatever. You know, we had we had a thing called the Miss Hendricks pageant, which uh, was a beauty pageant, but it was for guys. <laughs> <laughs> and my it was my first public performance was playing at the Miss Hendricks pageant. I played No Woman No Cry. <laughs> and uh and that was it and I, I i had my roommate was playing bongos or something and and uh, i was playing guitar and and i remember after the show i mean did the, my song uh this senior came up to me that i liked a lot and he just said you got it you got it man and I don't know if he was drunk or if he'd even seen the thing, but it was like, I just needed that one guy to go, that was okay. <laughs> you know, even if it's a drag show playing a Bob Marley cover, like he was like, you got something. And that's all I needed. And, and uh, I was off to the races. Yeah, I lived in, uh, so when I was in Arkansas, my uh, roommate and best buddy was uh, Croatian. And he had, Graduated high school in, in, in Croatia and then come, done like an exchange program for a year. He was going to come over and do a senior year in America. And he ended up in, in, in Mayflower, Arkansas, which, uh, anyway, it was, 
he was it was an interesting mix he was this uh uh really intelligent politically uh active socially conscious uh smart uh guy who came over and got stuck in a in a place where those qualities weren't necessarily uh embraced i think at that time you know as a high school senior that's a tough sell anyway so anyway he he came over there, but he did well, and then he ended up going to the state school, UCA, um, and for a year, and then he got a scholarship to Hendricks, where I was at, and we were uh, became friends and then roommates, and he would come and live with me uh, in Houston during the summers or Christmases and stuff because he couldn't go home all the time. So anyway, uh, after he graduated and, and uh, went back to Croatia, I took a year or two um, and uh, I, I worked for the Census Bureau for a while, and I saved up some money and uh, went over to, to Croatia and lived there for about half a year. Was that your first time overseas? No, I'd, I'd, done, uh, I'd been over to uh, the U.K. And, and Europe a couple times before, once for a school trip. And then when I was a kid, my, my family used to do this thing they they still have some form of it, but it's this really cool deal where you could trade houses with uh, people all over the world. And so it's this you 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 put a description of your house in a magazine, and then wait for somebody to write you a letter saying they like they want to trade with you. <laughs> it's kind of a, these days, you know, with the internet, it's, it's probably a much simpler process, and you know what you're getting to. But back then, you would just you would literally just exchange letters and be like, okay, I have a car and a house and I live outside of Houston and, and et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, so this one family would write us and say, well, we're, we live in Paris and uh, we have this and that. And, and then you work out dates and then you just swap. Um, and so we went and lived in their house for a month and they would live in our house for a month. And so you save on, you know, hotels and cars and, you know, and then you know, like their grandmother would come over and cook for us, and or their buddy would show us, be a tour guide, and so it was this kind of really fun way to travel where you weren't just like out of a hotel room, and and you could actually kind of get the lay of the land. So I did that over there a couple times, and and um, um, but yeah, it was it was uh, my first time into Eastern Europe, and in Croatia was a kind of totally different deal because no one no one really spoke English. Um, I had a I think they understood it but they didn't they weren't really into speaking it at least where i was living in <clears throat> and it was tough because um uh, did you speak any croatian no i mean I, I was working at it pretty hard for a while uh and then i met a girl at a bar one night who was an english major and she spoke english and i said, I said you're my girlfriend <laughs> 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 you know and that and then i kind of didn't care anymore yeah you know, like i had a translator uh there for me but it was a funny it was a fun time and and uh you know, I uh, I remember uh, my buddy played handball, and uh, so I would go to the practices with him just to get some exercise. And and uh, and uh, one day at the first practice, uh, I walk into the gym, and I'm into the locker room, and everybody's showering up, you know. And so I'm in this like high school, this kind of Eastern European high school gym locker room with these like 25 swarthy Croatian athletes, you know? 
and uh, I'm in my towel and I come walking in and they've blocked the deal and they're, they're all standing there facing me. And I'm like, what is this? And the one guy, this one guy steps up and he goes, well, let's see. Is everything bigger in Texas? <laughs> I just, <laughs> no. <laughs> When I got out of school, I moved down to this place called Crystal Beach, which is a little peninsula just outside of Galveston Island. It's about 25 miles long and half mile wide, and it's just sort of, it's off the grid. Um, like from Galveston, which is fairly off the grid, you'd get on a ferry boat and it drive across the bay. And, uh, you know, everybody out there kind of uses aliases and, um, they're just characters. There's some really eccentric, interesting characters out there. And that's where my show business career started, um, in a place where people go to not be found. I didn't know that <laughs> at, at the time, you know, uh, uh, which is why it took so long to get rolling, I guess. But, um, but anyways, I, I was working at these little joints, these kind of like, I don't know, shrimper dive bar places and and i was the only guy who was playing guitar and could sing at the same time on the on the whole peninsula so i was like the entertainment dollar was mine to be had you know <laughs> <laughs> and so i would hit all these joints there was like bob's sports bar and world famous grill was my first uh gig and then uh, sharkies and stingery and genies one and genies two was a bait camp inside of a trailer like 100 feet behind genies one and and so anyway these were my this was my career and and um you know there'd be between one and 10 people a night like it was a very low-key uh uh audience and and uh, uh but i would just do covers every night because they didn't want to hear my songs which i didn't have a whole lot of to begin with but um i would play you know four hours the gig was 50 bucks for four hours and I would do it six nights a week. And uh, I waited tables on the island uh, during the day. And uh, one day I went out with the staff afterwards. And i walking by this bar. And I poke my head in. And there's, uh, it's called the Old Quarter Acoustic Cafe. And I poke my head in. And there's a, like this sort of mural to towns, Van Zant on the wall. And then on the other wall is... Uh, you know, Blaze Foley's wallet and uh, what know, duct it, tape on it, duct tape on it, and you know, Lightning Hopkins and all, all this. The stuff I said, "What is this?" And there's a there's a hot girl tending bar. It turned out she was a stripper. Um, and there's a guy on stage playing uh, original music. And I was like, "I'm gonna hang out here." You know, this was the exact opposite of everything that I had found up to that point on the coast and so i walk in and and it turned out the, the guy who owned it was rex bell uh spelled w-r-e-c-k-s uh and rex was a uh bass player uh originally for lightning hopkins and uh and then towns van zandt and did a little bit with lucinda and um 
but it had been around in this kind of, uh, and had run the original quarter in Houston, um, sort of during this, in my eyes, mythical heyday of songwriters in Houston, where Guy Clark and, uh, you know, Lyle Lovett and, and Dusty Hill and uh, Lightning Hopkins and Towns Van Zandt and Vince Bell and, uh, you know, just the list was endless, you know, yeah. but it was, uh, they would all come and hang out the, at the old quarter. And uh, so I walked in, I played a couple of town songs just to get on his good side and, <laughs> and, uh, and that became my home for the next uh, five years. And uh, um, he had no paid employees. So there, like I said, there's a stripper and a lawyer we're back there just hanging out and um and so i you know eventually got behind the bar and went to host open mic nights and and uh so it was open mic nights wednesdays and thursdays and then and then live music fridays and saturdays and uh, uh our original music and so that's what through that is where how i met uh ray wiley hubbard uh it's where i met the sisters morales um steve fromholt shake russell uh, Richard Dobson um, and uh, Steve Young, and and it just completely changed my life. Walking into that that bar, uh, I have no idea where I'd be or what I'd be doing if I hadn't stepped foot in there. Got more out of that than college. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was an education in that I, like I said, I was just doing covers and trying to you know. I'd write an occasional thing, but I, there was no, there was no like in game where I was in Crystal <laughs> Beach, you know, it was just, it was living day to day. And, and I thought that's all it was. And I was happy with that. I was like, I'm getting to play music, you know, I'm not complaining. Um, but it's for four people who are felons and are hiding out, you know, in, in, in this trailer. Uh, but it was still, you know, it was still a thrill. But then when you go in the old quarter, I would see, guys who did this for a living and doing their own music and traveling, you know, these were all of my favorite things uh, <laughs> rolled into one. I yeah. said, you mean people pay you to sing your own songs and you get to go to a different city every night and do it? You know, Sign me up. People act like they like you. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> girls occasionally, <laughs> you know, and uh, drinks are free. Um, so it was, uh, it was really eye opening and, and, you know, in two ways. One, just sort of, it introduced me to this whole other world of songwriters. And it was a place where as loose as it was and as goofy as it could be, songwriting was respected there. And it was taken seriously. And if you brought the goods, um, you were respected for that and, and, and acknowledged. And, um, that was important to me to have some, you know, to have a group of, you know, and again, most of them were guys who were 30 years, 40 years older than I was, but it was, uh, it was important having uh, anybody kind of validate what you were doing and to take it seriously. One of the funny story that I, I remember was uh, at Bob's, uh, I, I used to, I would play in the corner and there was like a window behind me that looked out across the highway towards the ocean. And it was this, you know, just dirt gravel parking lot. Um, and I would get these kind of, it was a really interesting 
clientele and there were down there there was like the cook his name was bull uh the bartender was bay uh the fishing guide was fish uh there was a guy named barefoot um who didn't wear shoes there was a guy named backwards bert who was a, a lawnmower guy and he's his car only went in reverse <laughs> uh you know it's so like this was the this everybody there had a nickname you know like yeah. and uh and then, so anyway, there was this fella who had a zoo on the beach, like an illegal wild animal zoo with zebras and lions. On a beach. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, he, you know, th- th- these, they had these little houses or trailers and, you know, and, uh, you know, in these beach neighborhoods. And so he had this zoo and he was, uh, uh, he liked to party, right? Like, so I mean, he 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 would show up at my gig, and and you know they would literally tip me, you know, a bag of crystal meth or you know whatever. It was like uh, anyway. So Mike uh, sometimes would bring his lion to my gig in a trailer, and he would park it up right behind me. So I'm sitting on stage, and through the glass window behind me, there's a lion in a cage, <laughs> right? And so I'm I'm playing. Every once in a while, I look back, and he's just you know roars at me, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so anyway, I uh, uh, this went on for years, and and uh, uh, in 2008 or nine, uh, Hurricane Ike came and hit crystal beach but the baller peninsula just head on just wiped it out and i was in england at the time and i remember being in london uh, trying to follow what was going on in my town and it was hard to get news um about crystal beach because it was so small you know it was like sort of an afterthought to a lot of people and um but it turned out like 90% of the buildings had been washed away and, and Bob's and Sharky's and all these places I used to play had washed away my house, washed away, everything, everything was gone. And, um, but it turned out that Mike's, uh, the, the zookeepers animals all got out, uh, and were looking for cover high ground during the storm. And the lion ended up in a church with several other uh, people who had tried to ride out the storm. And it was like the highest ground. So they're sharing a church with this lion. And somebody took a picture of it. And that picture found its way onto the cover of the of the front page of the, the Sun or one of the London newspapers, right? And so I'm going on stage in this... Uh, can't remember what club it was, uh, uh, the Luminaire maybe, in in London, and uh, I pick up the paper, and there's a picture of the lion that used to be at my gigs. The same one on a on a newspaper in in London, uh, you know, <laughs> how many thousand miles away? Wow. Uh, well, yeah, that he was my security. Yeah, the first time I, I remember the first time I wrote with 
with Guy. I, um, it wasn't a gig. Well, we had played a gig outside of Houston, and afterwards, the people that put on this little festival threw a, a house party just for like the musicians. So we went back there, and it was Guy and Verlin Thompson and uh, Kimmy Rhodes, uh, JT Van Zant. Uh, yeah, I think that was it. And, Anyway, so we just stayed up all night picking, and and Guy played uh, his whole uh, the dark record. He played the whole thing for us live. We just sat there and got this concert for five people, and anyway, it was just an amazing night. And and Guy kept you know was bumming smokes off me all night, and that was sort of my end. Like he probably wasn't sure why I was there, but I was the only guy who had cigarettes, so he was going to let me stick around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, Anyway, so I took that as as an in, you know, I was like, that's good enough, I guess, to to call him up next time I get to Nashville. And so I did. I came to Nashville and I called him up and I said, you know, can we, uh, you probably don't remember me, but do you want to write a song together? I'm in town. He said, sure. Uh, come on over. So um, went over to his house and you, he has this basement workshop where he writes songs and builds guitars and and uh, uh, we sat down and, and uh, you know started writing and and uh, I remember trying to you know he we he he took a deep breath and looks over at me and says all right kid what do you got well here's an here's an idea and I throw it out and he shakes his head he says what else you got and I throw out another one he's like you know. It gives me this really intense look, like you're really letting me down. I should, I let you in my house, and so I started to get really, you know, nervous. I was already nervous, and and uh, anyway, I said, uh, "Yeah, I'm gonna. I need to use your restroom. Can I go upstairs?" And he said, "Yeah, fine." So I walk upstairs, and I open the door, and I guess Guy hadn't told Susanna that I was there, and I open the door, and Susanna has this tray of taquitos that she's taken out of the oven and she I think she thought I was a burglar or something because she throws them into the tray into the air <laughs> and I'm I forgot to mention we were totally stoned a guy and I so I freak out because I walk in because she's freaking out so we're both screaming at each other you know I'm like no it's cool she's you know there's taquitos everywhere and anyway we, we finally uh uh calmed down and, and uh, explained what we were doing and, and uh, uh, so that was the one time I met Susanna when she thought I was a, a burglar <laughs> well I thank you for uh, inviting me into your living room and, and uh, putting up with me oh it was my pleasure and chatting with me my pleasure was. And, uh, maybe we'll go gamble now or something yeah you got anything in Indiana in Indiana for gambling? Yeah, that retirement home bingo parlor win <laughs> screwed me. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Hayes for inviting me into his living room in Austin, Texas, and recording this conversation. You can find out everything you need to know about Hayes at HayesCarl.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to OtisGibbs.com. You can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, 
You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my fine art photographic prints. You can pick up Amy's record. You could buy Amy's children's book. Anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review or leave a comment. It helps uh, us move up in the search rankings, and it helps a lot more people find out about this show. But if you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, or you enjoy this show, please tell somebody. Help us spread the word. Tell a friend. And uh, if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.